0: This is the Quip and Quill podcast. I'm your host, Devin Rue, professional fantasy cartographer and illustrator.
1: Hi, I'm Ginny D. i am jenny di make YouTube videos about tabletop games, and I also make costumes and music and uh, I write stuff. I do, I do too many things, one might say.
0: Some might say you don't do enough, but fuck those people.
1: That's well, also, there's a little person in my head who says that, too.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We can't. Oh, man. Yeah. Like I was joking, like I need a podcast. I need something to take up even more of my day because I don't have enough to do.
1: Right. When I did, uh, I did a recent video where I just sang a bunch of bardic inspirations and I pretended to play like guitar and bass and ukulele and all kinds of stuff. But it was actually my friend Blake who was doing all the music for it. And a couple people in the comments were like, you could learn to do those things. This song is really easy to learn on bass guitar. And it's like, do you really think I need another creative hobby right now?
0: Right. I don't think people understand the depths of which some people absolutely have to dive into learning something.
1: Yeah, it would become my whole personality.
0: Right. Like this podcast, I don't shut the fuck up about and I haven't even launched it yet. All (laughs) I do, all I do is talk about recording it, editing the software, because I I love learning this stuff.
1: Yeah, sometimes, I mean, I think this is like a mark of a successful creative often as somebody who can just really dive headfirst into something and get all about it for a while. That's how I mean, that's how I've learned everything that I do. I just got really into it for a short time and now I do it in a more moderate way.
0: Right. But also, do we sleep?
1: Yeah, that's, yeah, that's the big question. Right. <laughs> I will say that I, I actually prioritize sleeping more than I think people think I do, because I know how useless I am when I'm tired. <laughs> right.
0: See, I, I, and I did this long before, I think I've always done this, I make the joke, on the reason my parents divorced. Um, oh, no. I sleep six hours a night. That And that's enough? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've always been this way. That's nice. That would be so nice. Um, so maybe seven. It depends uh, how tired I am from the day before. But yeah. I only sleep in usually uh, three to four hour intervals. Huh. Right. So I'm up in the middle of the night at like three or four o'clock in the morning, which is great because I have a lot of friends and family in the UK that I talk to all the time. Oh,
1: my gosh. That's like a superpower.
0: That's what my other friend says, too. She's yeah. like, oh, you sleep like a smart person
1: god I wish I had that kind of control
0: right I was like I don't know if that implies like I'm I am smart or you, I just sleep like one like what does that statement mean like but how does sleep how do smart people sleep how does that okay oh
1: man I think in the end smart people sleep as much as their bodies need and for me that's a, that's a lot I feel like I'm more of a nine hour a night kind of gal to be honest
0: I think most people are, and uh, I highly encourage everyone to get the amount of sleep that you need. That's my
1: favorite thing about being self-employed is not having to set an alarm. Yes.
0: Yeah. I mean, with me, that's easy, but (laughs) (laughs) right, go to bed at midnight, wake up at 6 a.m. What do you need done?
1: Oh, my gosh. Yeah,
0: that's incredible. It's also annoying. uh, Yeah, I'm sure it is. Anyone, well, first of all, anyone who lives with me, my poor wife had to get used to the fact that I, I just always feel uh, appear to be awake. <laughs> so, not only, oh, excuse me, every time that she gets up in the middle of the night for whatever reason or wakes up, I'm just over there playing on my phone, <laughs> like I've yeah. never gone to sleep.
1: My husband would lose it. He he has a lot of trouble sleeping if I am up. So it's like when he's ready to go to bed, he's always hovering around like, are you almost done? Yeah, like you can go to sleep.
0: (laughs) No, I can't. I'm the same way with my wife. Well, both of us are, but like we have to go to bed together. And uh, she laughs because she uh, she thinks someone just flips a switch and I go to sleep because I I sound like I'm wide awake and then I'm just not. (laughs) do
1: Do you fall asleep quickly and easily?
0: Yes, extremely.
1: Yeah, I'm kind of like that, too. And my husband has more like insomnia type of shit that he has to deal with. And I always feel really guilty when I'm like, all right, well, time for bed. And then I'm just out. (laughs)
0: Yep. Thankfully enough, Brief also falls asleep fairly quickly, but she's a very like physical person throughout her day. And uh So thankfully enough, she kind of wears herself down, but I can tell when she Mm. doesn't and I'm like, oh man, honey. (laughs) And I'm just over there like sawing wood. I am out. Yeah. (sighs) Yeah. And then she wakes up and I'm just sitting there playing on my phone. I'm really quiet about it, but I'm playing on my phone and then I'm still (laughs) up at the butt fucking crack of dawn. Man. Yeah,
1: Yeah. whenever I'm up in the middle of the night, I always feel this urge to get up and be productive, which is not healthy.
0: Oh, I, I am. I just I actually leave admin work for when I'm up at three or four or five o'clock in the morning. You're like, ah, oh, email time. Perfect. Yeah, that's exactly it. The only <laughs> thing is I can't do it. I have to be able to do it on my phone. So if it's not on my phone, I can't because yeah. I tried doing like the iPad and i kept waking her up so i stopped
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's a bridge too
0: far yeah i think it's just too bright and every time she'd roll over and then the cat yells at me and wakes her up so
1: Mm, yeah we also have a cat who once you're awake he's like up and about so you have to be very careful if you're the if you're the lone person that's awake because then the cat will start causing trouble
0: exactly Ruby thankfully enough just sleeps on me but she the moment she senses I might be awake she's like okay belly rub time <laughs> and she just sits there and mews at me until I do this so that wakes Bree up she's like just pet the fucking cat alright I'm sorry
1: <laughs> classic nocturnal problems
0: yeah 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 so you know thankfully enough she's you might hear her screaming in the background every once in a while <laughs>
1: Yeah, I there's always a risk with me that that Pablo will come and shout outside of my office during any given recording.
0: Right. Well, the good thing is, is that this records both of our tracks separately.
1: Oh, nice. So as long as he and I are not yelling at the same time.
0: Right. Exactly. I was like, oh, this is why I like this bot so much. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And the other thing is, like, at least a discord chat kind of feels a little bit more relaxed. Instead of, like, sending you to a specific website and stuff like that?
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Let's talk about D&D in a castle. Oh, sure, we could talk about D&D in a castle. Um, yeah, I just got just got back from that. I'm mm-hmm. still mentally recovering. <laughs> that looked like a lot. It was a lot, yes. Um, This was my second year doing D&D in a castle, and the first year I totally stressed myself out. Had my first actual panic attack at the castle, which was a fun time. Um, and then, and then when they asked me back, I was like, okay, I've learned a lot. I'm gonna be able to do things differently this time, and I'm not gonna be so stressed, and it's gonna be totally fine. And then, of course, I was just as stressed. I mean, not panic attack at the castle level, stressed, but like right. leading up to it, just as stressed. I think I'm just a person that has so much anxiety around delivering like a an experience at the table that is worth what these people are paying to be there right oh my god it just i can't i can't leave anything to chance so i have to like write every single part of the campaign and every potential outcome i have to prepare for and i play tested my campaign and like i just had i mean i had probably two months of consistent work beforehand getting everything ready which is just something that you know it's one thing to be like yes i can dedicate a week to DD the castle but it's another thing to be like can i dedicate two months to it Right. Uh, Yeah, I think I'm, you know, reflecting. I talked to a bunch of different DMs both times that we were there. That's honestly one of the best parts of that event is getting to meet up with other DMs and just talk about like how they run their campaigns and, and what what their tips and tricks are and what's special about the way they run games. And I have talked to plenty of them that are just they're so much more comfortable with improvising everything and they feel confident that they'll be able to deliver a great experience even with significantly less prep than what I bring. Um, And I don't know for me if it's my DM experience or the way that I DM or even just my own insecurity as a DM, but I just don't feel that way. And I think the people who are more comfortable with all that improv are way better suited to events like this because they they don't have to spend two months being like, okay, well, what if they do this one? What paths can they go down? And how will I react to each of those paths? Like it's too much, you know? And I can let go of the reins a little bit in home games, but it's it's a lot harder with something like this.
0: You you actually sound like you'd make a fantastic game developer.
1: Maybe that's the answer is I just need to maybe do too free freeform for me to feel, you know, really good as a DM. I mean, I, I also I do get more comfortable with it the more that I do it. Obviously, a lot of these DMs who are at this event have been DMing for 20 years and right. You know, I'm just not, I'm just not, I'm a decade or so short of that.
0: <laughs> I was going to say, how long have you been DMing?
1: Oh, God. I, I feel like at one point I wrote down when I started playing D&D because I always, I have a very bad sense of time. It's just not something I'm good at holding in my brain. Let me see where I wrote it down. Oh, here, here's D&D notes that I had from the first campaign that I was running. Uh, so that would be March of 20, no, wait, created 2019, August of 2019. So oh, wow. Yeah, four years, uh, almost exactly four years now, and I I was playing for a little longer than that. So I'd say probably five years playing, four years DMing. It's funny because I think there are most hobbies, if you said, I've only been doing it for four years, that would seem like a weird way to phrase that, like four years (laughs) should be a lot of experience, but DMing is just, it's something that some people have such a long history with that four years still makes me feel like a beginner.
0: Aww. I've been playing with a group for 20 years. Wow. Yeah. The same group? yeah well sort of
1: um sort of a ship of theseus type of situation
0: yeah you know we started off as one as the main group which is uh about four or five of us and then we had like different variations of of some other people joining us here and there and now and then we ended up with our our core eight wow that's a big group it's a huge group we played here there and you know in, in bits and pieces like most people you know like you play for a lot and then all of a sudden you go a long time without playing um but we now have narrowed it back down to uh us four simply because it's we're the only four that can have a consistent schedule mm, yeah um and then everyone else joins in every once in a while or we have like one shots and Um, That is so
1: cool that you have like such a long history with this group of people. And that's incredible. I hope that in 20 years I can say that about my group.
0: I hope so, too. Uh, We we've got we have a lot that. Oh, God, the, the amount of trust that we have at our table is just phenomenal to begin with. Like, I'm I'm not afraid of. I mean, yes, you don't know what a trigger is until it happens, and then you realize, oh, shit, this, this really bothers me. But I think that by now, after you've been playing for so long, you kind of, like, hopefully have touched down on the majority of things that would ever be a trigger. Yeah. So it's kind of great, because at this point, like, I know what I can and can't do, so it's it's a lot easier prep-wise. Plus, mm-hmm. they also now because we've been playing together for so long and the way that we play makes it a lot easier because they will um we do a lot of uh text-based playing so during the week we have the conversations that our characters would normally have that we don't really get to get in during the gaming session itself
1: I really like that, especially as a way to allow one on one, because a lot of one on one interactions can feel like they take up a lot of space at the table when there's a bunch of people just waiting around right. for it to finish. But being able to actually do that as text based stuff in between sessions is such a cool way to handle that.
0: Yeah. And then this way everyone else gets to read the conversation at their leisure. So yeah. that makes it a lot easier. The great thing is, is that I have players that if they're not there for the conversation for their characters they won't read anything so now they don't (laughs) even have the meta knowledge and I'm like I love you all so much
1: that's so good (laughs) I used to do so I actually even though my D&D experience is so you know just a few years long now I've been doing text-based role play like in forums and stuff since I was I mean since I was arguably too young to be role-playing with strangers online uh so i have like a ton of ton of history with doing text-based roleplay and i actually sometimes really miss that how you could sort of just engage with it on your own schedule and everybody just pops in when they can and some people are naturally more active and some people are naturally less it feels like there's a lot of flex room for everybody's schedules in that kind of role playing in a way that like group stuff at the table doesn't necessarily allow for
0: right and we have a we have our own discord that we do this all in so we have like different uh text uh, channels that we have particular conversations in so not only do we have it so we have like separate notes um and things that we learn from the world and knowledge and everything else we have those in their own text chat so we can always go back and reference it but It is so much easier to have, like, when we're having a group conversation and being able to, like, kind of jump in when we have the time or having our private or our our character separate conversation. And it could literally just go on for weeks whenever, you know, yeah. And it's so, so nice. So... And Uh, that just
1: feels like so immersive too. like just giving you the opportunity to kind of dip your toes into that character consistently throughout the week instead of just picking it up for the session and then putting it down for the rest of the week.
0: And we get to like so, you know, normally when you play D&D, because you're going through sessions and usually you want as much, you know, fun or action or whatever to go on during those times, you tend to like you've only spent like three days in game, but really you've been playing for three months
1: Yep, absolutely. <laughs> right.
0: So all of that downtime that wouldn't explain how you're bonding is made up when you do like a text conversation throughout the week. I love that. Yeah. So it and it makes a lot more sense to be able to like oh, well this explains why we're actually a group because yeah, instead of four strangers that met 3 days ago and now we're willing to die for each other.
1: <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> that's such a classic D&D thing. Someone's like, but I, someone has like a dramatic speech where they're like, and that's when I knew that I loved you. And then you're like, you've known this person for
0: two weeks. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, you know, this kind of makes up for it. Plus, we also have a different, um, we do change our timeline depending on our out of session conversations. Oh, okay. So like a perfect example is if we end up with like a huge dialogue between all of us, We'll actually count a certain portion of that for like a couple of days. So when we pick up our session, as long as it's not like mid combat or whatever, we'll just, you know, forward our characters timelines for a few days and just basically say that we had downtime. We were camping. We were, you know, traveling, whatever, whatever we can fill in that space to sort of explain all of this conversation. Yeah. So
1: we do get a little bit more
0: time out of it.
1: Yeah, I like that because, yeah, it definitely feels like some of the things that we're doing in sessions are so urgent that you wouldn't want to spend an entire session like role playing conversations. And even when things aren't urgent, it's like, is that how you want to spend your limited time together at the table, especially if you have another space where you can do that? I think that's really clever. It's like a mixed media D&D campaign.
0: Yeah. Plus, I mean... At least one of my players, the moment someone else goes in a dialogue, this person completely tunes out. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I sort of feel like unless I can engage all of my players all the time, I always feel like I'm leaving someone out. Yeah. So they will actually like, okay, pause. We're going to have this conversation you know, in whatever room after the session. So they'll actually, like, put a pin in conversations entirely.
1: Interesting.
0: Yeah, I love that.
1: I think it's, I don't know, what I love so much about DD is how much it can be customized to suit exactly what the players at that table need for the game to work for them. Because I, I mean, I love that in my home game, When there's a one-on-one conversation it feels like the other players are tuned into it and are observing it in like a in in a way that almost like as fans you know like we love these characters we're interested in what happens with them and i love that we are able to do that at our table where that works but then at your table where maybe that doesn't work for everybody who's there you've worked out your own way to do it and there's no right way or wrong way we all just do it however it works for our table because that's the only thing that matters i think that's so cool
0: exactly uh the whole reason i ever started playing this was uh because one to i have a very vivid imagination and was always one of those kids that that could completely entertain myself and uh i i love that i found other people that were as just as into it but i immediately like went into larping
1: mm, yeah
0: you know and so got into role playing and everything else and we have an extremely heavy heavy role play table but uh unfortunately that is just not the case and when i first started playing i'm here trying to have like these huge dramatic moments and romances and everything and then everyone else at the table is like yeah i'm just trying to kill stuff Oh, no. Yeah, I'm like, ah, <laughs> oh. it was an experience back when uh, we couldn't we didn't have as much online contact. And the only way that you could find local groups to play with was when you went to like a local game store. hmm.
1: Yeah, we have such a such a broader understanding of all the different ways that you can play now that we can share that stuff online.
0: Exactly. Which is why I love where it's going. And uh, despite how many people have ever tried to like, oh, you're ruining D&D or whatever the dumb shit people <laughs> say. Classic. Right. I'm like, oh, I fucking hope so, because how it <laughs> was sucked. <laughs> I love
1: when people are like, when they're super pissed off at me. It's not that I love when they're super pissed off at me, but when they are super pissed off at me saying that I'm like ruining D&D or I'm 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 the reason D&D is like changing or failing or whatever they want to say. I love being like, guess what? you can't fucking stop me
0: right right you know what you're right i am and i fucking love it and guess what i don't give a shit if you don't
1: i was like i'm gonna keep my hands all over your precious little hobby and if you don't like it then i guess you're gonna have to close your eyes right yeah people are always like i would never do this at my table and i'm like cool then don't right you actually have complete freedom to do what you want just like i do
0: Right. It's really weird to have people that try to police a game they're not even involved in. I know. Oh, my God. It's wild.
1: How many people will get so upset about the way I'm doing things with my characters at my tables? It's like, bro, you're not invited. It doesn't matter. Right.
0: Right. Like, so my players and I, um, everyone at my table has some form of blindness. This is actually how we ended up as a group.
1: Oh, that's so interesting.
0: We, we sort of had a, um, so I met everybody years ago, just out of high school. And like I said, it's, our table has gone through various different iterations and, you know, and then again, you stop for a ridiculous amount of time or life gets in the way, whatever. So when we started coming back together as a group, you know, roughly 20 ish years ago, by this point, I already, because I am part of the blind community, I already asked several people like, you know, if they play and everything else. And I started, because um, um, uh, I had also was moving or looking to move at that time and was like, I'm going to be online. So I won't be able to actually like sit at a table as much, blah, you know, and Not that it matters because if you're a partially blind person, you end up using a lot of software and everything else to kind of like make up for like, I need a reader to read some of the books or some, you know, I can't read PDFs because I can't really see them. So, you know, we just sort of started that way with a bunch of us being in a forum together and realizing that we're like a small group of people that are partially blind or fully blind. It's one of my players. And we all play D&D. And I was like, well, fuck it, let's play online. And so we did. And then, you know, every once in a while, we've we've brought in um, someone who has, you know, normal sighted person. And that hasn't always gone very well because one, we play the game to suit us, which means that if somebody needs to read something, they go off uh, either in another room or whatever, you know, if we're uh, online, they mute us. So they can listen to their reader. And, you know, some people feel like you should be at the table the entire time.
1: So it's, not, it's not like you guys are leaving the table because you're not focused.
0: Right. But they're annoyed that we would have to explain anything that happened while that person was off listening to their reader. And I'm like, we don't care. We're fine with it. Why are you mad? <laughs> or that I, I don't describe things technically with like visual aids because that's not how I perceive the world. So I don't I don't think about it. I'll go to describe a place and then I will have someone go, well, what does it fucking look like? You know, and I'm like I just described it to you. So
1: awesome, though, that you have put together a group of people where you all have that shared like way of experiencing that adventure together.
0: Yeah, it's a lot easier for us. And it it's I, I think it's just the reason that we ended up working so well. When we all are huge drama queens,
1: <laughs>
0: absolutely. We live for role play.
1: That's amazing. And, you know, like people can try to make their tables accessible, but without an understanding of what that looks like, because a lot of us have not seen accessible tables like we haven't actually witnessed that in the right? in the tabletop media that we're consuming either. So I think like the fact that you guys were able to build exactly what you needed from the ground up because every single one of you like was coming to the table looking for a game that would suit you and the way that you guys need to play. I don't know. I just think that's really awesome. So many people don't ever get that opportunity.
0: We didn't we actually didn't mean to start a group together because all of us were blind. That was the funny part. (laughs) Like we all just started because we're again, we're huge drama queens and we're all like really heavy into role play. And... We just, we, everyone just liked my DMing style or my story style because technically at first they didn't know how I DMed, but <laughs> the way I told stories. And, um, and also they, they made it really, really comfortable for me to be a DM because I could, uh, again, I could describe things in a way that made more sense because mm. for us, everything is auditory or tactile. And I, Yes, I'll, I'll use some visual indicators, but not not like a lot of uh, other DMs. Just yeah. because I don't perceive the world that way, so I don't ever think about it. Yeah, yeah. I just had someone ask me whether or not my players are, you know, their their characters are blind or partially blind, and I went, I don't know. <laughs> like, that's not how we describe ourselves. I'll I'll ask, but I'm assuming yes. That's awesome. Yeah, my character is partially blind, just like I am, because obviously that's the only way I know how to look at the world. <laughs> yeah, know? yeah, absolutely. I feel like I I tend to um, get a little enthusiastic about my game, so I will.
1: No, that's awesome. I love that. I also feel like if you're not getting that enthusiastic about your game, then maybe you're in the wrong game. You know what I mean? Like, we should all feel that excited about our games.
0: Exactly. Uh, yeah. I, and it's funny because I, I have a lot of people like, oh, my God, could you stream your game? Nope.
1: Oh, my God. I'm exactly the same way. And I was just talking with another YouTuber recently who said the same thing. Basically, like, for me, my games are for me and my friends, though, yes. my home games, especially that's something that's special and it's for us. It's right. not content for the Internet. And if I were going to make it into content, that would turn it into something else.
0: Absolutely. And for us, unfortunately, it would turn into inspiration porn for other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When I, when I very first started, uh, my name started getting out there in the community um, and I was talking about, you know, playing a game or whatever. I already talked to my group and I was like, listen, as my name gets out there, like I'm going to be asked, what do you, how do you all feel about at least me talking about the game? Because, you know. I want I will always ask my players consent to talk about specific stories or their characters or whatever cuz it's th- that's their characters. Yeah. You know, and even if I am the DM, that doesn't mean the game belongs just to me. So I wanted to at least ask. And they're yeah. like, "Yeah, no, we're fine." You know, and then I got asked by somebody to stream and I was like I could tell that they were basically asking cuz they want to know what a bunch of blind people look like playing D&D. <laughs> and I brought it up to them and we were all like You know, an enthusiastic no. Mm -hmm.
1: It's so hard, I feel like, because, you know, we were just saying a second ago that a lot of people don't know what an accessible table would even look like. But that doesn't but that doesn't mean that anybody should feel like they have to expose their private game to the public eye in order to educate. Right. But it's like such a it's such a weird like line to walk because I definitely have moments when I'm like, yeah, it would probably benefit people for me to do this thing that I really don't actually want to do, that it would not be comfortable for me.
0: First of all, I'm I'm not comfortable on camera, which is, again, why I have a podcast instead. (laughs)
1: Um,
0: But also because it's just, tabletop RPGs are incredibly personal for me. When I first started coming into this space and seeing how parts of the hobby and people and communities and fans treated some other people depending on what they're a fan of I was like oh oh no I first of all I don't like people who backseat play.
1: Yes. Oh my god that's one of the biggest reasons that I would be nervous to stream.
0: Absolutely.
1: People are always telling people like oh you should have done this. Why didn't you do this? Oh you're playing your character wrong. That would kill me.
0: Right. What do you mean I'm fucking playing my character? I'm it's my <laughs> character. I you I can't play it wrong. Yeah. It's my fucking character. Like, I tried it once. I, I was on um, the Greyhawk channel and we had a violent villainous campaign and I am playing uh, a character named Mavari. And I only pick spells that fit my character's history.
1: Oh, no, you're not optimizing your spell choices. You're exactly. doing me wrong.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Not only did we have somebody who essentially is a min-maxer, or was, uh, at the table, which was just a horrible experience for me, especially, like I said, I come from such a role-playing standpoint. I was like, oh.
1: Yeah, it can be really hard to mesh with that kind of player.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And um, but it was interesting, because I was like, wow, this is... Wow, I really love my group. I really really love my own group because mm, we don't do this.
1: Yeah, I basically only do streams now for charity because I just found that they were so anxiety-inducing for me and I was so... I just felt so... I felt like I couldn't really get into character because I was so concerned about how I would be perceived, which is just not the way that I want to play. That's not a good way to be creative, you know?
0: Right, exactly. And the same thing, like... I, I loved playing Mavari because she was a, a, I loved playing villainous characters, but like, it was so weird for me to play with a group of people that did not talk other than during the show. Mm, yeah. And I was like, wow, this is such a, a strange experience. Even if there was problems at the table, which there was, and for some reason people came to me and I was like, Ugh. why? <laughs> <laughs> They're like, well, I clearly see you have a problem with such and such player. Okay, first of all, yeah, I don't have a poker face. But secondly, I can't fucking help you. I clearly have a problem with that player.
1: <laughs> oh, man. Right. Yeah, I also, I mean, I don't know. I could spend a long time talking about why I think that most actual play games, streams, podcasts, etc., are never going to be successful. And I don't know that it would be helpful. I think it might just just be critical. So I don't usually say it, but yep. I honestly <laughs> feel like I honestly feel like the dynamic between players is like the number one most important part of a a D&D show being successful. And so many shows don't even think about it. There have been so many times when I've been involved in shows where the first time I meet someone is like on camera when we're streaming. It's like, how the heck are we supposed to role play off of each other when we don't even know each other socially?
0: Right. 100%. I'm like, they did that to me. And I'm like, I don't for what? No, I don't know any of you. Like, this is weird.
1: I felt that way hugely on the the Wizards of the Coast Spelljammer show that I was on, Legends of the Multiverse. It was like I had almost no communication leading up to the game. And then once we were actually playing, I was coming in as a guest after multiple episodes had already been played. I, the show wasn't out yet, so I didn't know anything about how the game was going or what everybody's characters were like. I was basically just dropped in and had no context for anything and didn't really know most of the people on the stream. And I felt so awkward and like uncomfortable trying to roleplay off of them. And I was also a guest, so it's like I didn't know how much space I should be taking up. And it really felt like it, it limited my ability to just like sink into the character and and have fun and create something fun.
0: Right. Right. And I mean, but, uh, you know, that's a really key point. So I think one of the things that, you know, because this kind of ties into what you you do for a living, because I'm sure there's a ton of people that are utterly confused how you could be possibly be uncomfortable in front of a camera.
1: Yeah, yeah. But everything I do, almost everything I do on my channel is fully scripted. Like I work for hours and hours on my scripts beforehand, making sure that I stand by everything, that I'm phrasing it right, that I've researched everything. And then I only then do I say it.
0: (laughs) Right. Like that's got to be that's got to be really confusing because, you know, you do make it look very effortless. Oh, thank you. You're welcome, (laughs) because we don't see we don't really see anything that you do behind the screen. Yeah. You know, or behind the scenes, excuse me. Either one, that works. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So because we don't see any of that, like, it looks like you just get on and you're like, hey, I'm having a great time. This is what we're talking about now.
1: Yeah. (laughs) It's funny to me how many people actually were surprised to hear that I use a teleprompter, which obviously makes me feel great that I'm doing a good job delivering. And obviously, since I write the scripts that I'm reading, they're all written in my voice. So it's very easy for me to deliver them in a natural way. But... I still, like, I, I I couldn't imagine, looking back at my own videos, how could anyone speak for so long without, like, messing up or saying um or, like, mixing up a word? I trip over my words even using a teleprompter all the time. But, yeah, people don't see that because, obviously, I polish it all up and get it nice and ready to go before I put it out into the world and, and people right. just see the finished product. In some ways, I was just recently... Um, thinking about how I think I was reading something or or listening to something where someone brought this up. But for me, the entire creation process ends with the video being uploaded. But for people who are watching it, that video's lifespan begins when it gets uploaded. And that's why like they're going to talk about it. They're going to talk about things that they disagree with or things they would have done differently, even though for me, it's the end of the line. That thing's dead now. It's out there and I can't work on it anymore.
0: Being that their discussion starts when you're done with it, do you go back and try to continue the conversation and doesn't work or it does or like how do you how do you get to the engagement part?
1: That's such a good question because it's something that I really struggle with and it's actually something I think a lot of creators really struggle with because um, it sucks to have people tell you about what they would have done differently or what they think you've done wrong. When it's past the point where you can change any of it, you know, So in some ways, it's like this is not helpful. Like this isn't useful information, especially when it's really specific to the project. So it's not ever going to come up again. It's like it doesn't all, all that you're doing is being a jerk. Like it doesn't actually affect my ability to create a product. But at the same time, you know, I have been trying to remind myself that. Like they didn't have an opportunity to voice that feedback earlier in the process because that's not how my creations work. So they're they're saying it as soon as it occurs to them. Uh, I think for me, it's been a real balancing act of figuring out how to engage with the way that people respond to my work in a way that both makes them feel appreciated for, for watching my videos, because obviously I want them to watch my videos. I'm really glad they're watching them and thinking about them. So I want them to feel like They are part of the conversation, you know, and like that's meaningful input, but also to keep enough distance that I don't create from a place of fear. Because I think often if I get too deep into reading what people think about my work, then when I start creating a new project, it's just like I have this constant imagined future criticism in my head. And that's such a such a shitty place to be creative from. Like, I, I shouldn't be creating while worrying about how it's going to be received i should be creating from a from a place of like vulnerability and and innovation and like whatever is making me feel excited not what i'm afraid people will think so i have i have to really walk that line and i i'm a little bit of a sensitive baby so i might walk that line a little closer to to ignoring feedback than other people might choose to do (laughs)
0: I mean, I so I, I say this all the time, but um, tabletop r- RPGs is a really emotional hobby.
1: Absolutely.
0: And uh, so I 100% can understand that because, again, it's a big reason why I don't want to put my my um, game on on uh, any type of medium whatsoever. Like this is the closest I'm going to get to ever putting anything out there. And I don't really talk about our individual sessions mostly because I again I don't wanna like constantly have to like ask my players, can I talk about this? Can I talk about this? Can I talk about this? Um, I'm I can talk about my DMing all I want because it's me DMing and it can pertain to anything. But also, I am really uncomfortable with the amount of commentary some people. With everything mm-hmm. that I absolutely would would definitely create, like I don't care with this podcast. Not <laughs> to say I don't want anyone to listen or anything like that, but nobody could say anything to me meaner than my own brain says to me. Mm, yeah, right. I usually
1: feel that way. Then some people give <laughs> my own brain a run for its money. Right. I mean, that's that's a hundred percent true. But you know. <laughs> but yeah, I I too am very self critical, and I think that's. I think that's part of what makes me vulnerable to shitty comments. Um, I think that my own fears and insecurities mean that certain comments just hit me a lot harder than they would if I had more self-confidence. And that's something I'm, I'm constantly working on because I don't I don't know if this is true for like every person who creates content online, but I definitely feel like I got into this for maybe some of the wrong reasons. Like I was seeking external validation and the Internet is an easy place to get it. But that also makes you very vulnerable to the negative stuff, too, because you're looking to the Internet for their feedback, which is right. not a good idea.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know. Like, I, well, I only got into doing art because I can't not do art. Mm, yeah. You know, like I have to create. Uh, yeah, but
1: but I don't have to put it online. Right. <laughs> so right. I, that's where I feel like I went wrong. <laughs> right. Well, like,
0: I mean, it was either that or I have a regular nine to five job, which I don't fucking want. So I had to put it online.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, to be clear, as much as I talk shit about like how how I feel about this work, like I feel incredibly grateful to get to make my own my own job and make my own decisions and control my own time. That's a huge privilege. And I would not trade it. I mean, I, I could like I could quit this if it really sucked. I could quit it and just go back to working in marketing and that would suck
0: would you could you quit it could I yeah I don't know probably not great <laughs> right. because I've thought about it especially in the past like couple of years where I'm just like sort of done with the world and I'm like, you know mm-hmm. what uh I could just not do any more work and go back to you know because uh, I'm a former efficiency manager uh, I'm a former research analyst. I had great jobs with fantastic pay and benefits. Yeah, you got skills, right? But I, I don't, I don't ever want to go back to that. Compared to, like, my worst day doing this for a living beats my best day doing that.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that's honestly working for somebody else for me. I always did a pretty good job until I got bored and then I became a terrible employee like just consistently in every job I reached a point where I was like oh no I don't care about this anymore I'm not interested in this anymore and then I would become much worse at my job and I feel like I am just capable of being good at my work so much more when I give a shit about what I'm doing so I almost feel like Not only am I serving myself better by working this way, but I'm also serving everyone around me better by doing work that I think I can actually do my best work at. When I was working for other people, I was not always doing my best work. And that sucks. It sucks to not feel like you are able to or are choosing to, like, give your all, you know? Right. Oh, 100%. There's something very, very dissatisfying about working a job that you just don't care about. Like, what is your motivation?
0: Right. Why am I here? Yeah. Yeah. And then it's worse, especially if you're friends with anyone there or the the people who run it are really cool. And you're just like barely scraping by because you can't you can't pull up any enthusiasm whatsoever to do anything beyond the bare minimum.
1: Yeah. And I, you know, it, it like it sort of makes me feel like an asshole, but also you know, the more that I learn about ADHD, the more I'm like, this is not all this is also not entirely my decision. Like whether or not I feel motivated to complete a task is not just me deciding to care. Right. It's just, my brain just doesn't work that way. I, I actually just like chemically am a better worker when I'm interested in the task. It's right. not something that I'm like making decisions about. It's just the way that I am.
0: Right, can we can we talk about what your work looks like with ADHD or in general, for that matter? Like, what is yeah. a day, a, and what does a day consist of on average? And what are you fighting your own brain gremlins about on a, on a daily basis?
1: Hmm, that's such a good question. Yeah, so i I use a lot of tools because um, I find it very very difficult to prioritize on a large scale if I don't use a lot of tools to do so. Um, My nature is that I am always just going to work on the next most urgent thing if left to my own devices. And that means that oftentimes things that are really important just never come up because they don't end up being super urgent. For example, you may note that I don't have a book. Everybody else who does my kind of work has a book. Wouldn't it be great to have a book out? <laughs> right. But I mean, it takes yeah. so long to write a book and you have to work on it a little bit at a time. I'm really not good at that kind of stuff. So that's the kind of thing where if I do want to do a big project like that, I have to use tools to portion it out into smaller sections and assign myself smaller deadlines and then use tools to remind myself of those smaller deadlines. Or I will forget about them and just work on the next thing that's that's due, even if that thing is not important. So right now I'm using a I'm using a productivity app called Sunsama where You set your to-do list every morning and it has you estimate how long each task will take. And then you actually plot them into your calendar as time blocks. And it'll tell you like, hey, this looks like it might be too much work for one day. Do you want to defer any of this to tomorrow? Or you can set up goals for the week. So it'll be like, hey, do you want to align your tasks today with your goals for the week? So I can set a goal for the week that says, "Okay, this week, I really do want to get some work done on this adventure, which is not urgent, but which is important. And it'll remind me every day when I'm setting up my to do list. Hey, do you want to schedule in any time to work on this adventure? Which has been really, really helpful for me. Um, And then also sometimes working with ADHD just means that I put something on my list and then I try to do it. And it just isn't working. It's just not going to happen today. Maybe today is just not a day that I can write a video script. And instead of sitting here at my computer and just beating myself up about it and staring at my screen and getting nothing done and also feeling terrible for several hours, maybe it's better to just say, "Okay, I guess this is going to be a tomorrow task or a or a next week task. And I will find something that I do feel invested in to work on right now, because that's how I'm going to be most productive.
0: That is amazing. (laughs) (laughs) So first (laughs) off, please send me the link to that so I can share with anyone listening.
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: Uh, The amount of people that are in this industry and creatives that have ADHD is, is amazing to me.
1: Oh, my God. Yeah. D&D in the castle, when we were all doing our intros, several people mentioned being ADHD in their intro. And at one point I was like, did the people who didn't mention it at the table just not mention it because everyone had already said it? Or do they not have ADHD? Because part of me was like, does every single DM at this event have ADHD? Right.
0: Did you Did you all plan this? Like, right. did you just put them all on my table because I too have ADHD. <laughs> 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 and I don't, which is really interesting to me Hmm. as somebody who I'm just an incredibly organized person, which is again why I I did great as a former efficiency manager. So for me to be around a group of people where it feels like the majority of of everyone in in this um, industry has ADHD or some form of it, I'm like, wow, this is, huh, okay. (laughs) Like, because for me, I just have like a very basic calendar where I put everything on and I write my notes out and I don't necessarily write them out in the same manner as you do. But I think about them in that same way. And I was like, Mm. wow. Yeah, no, there should be tools for this. You know? Yeah,
1: I think it's one of those things where I, I know how from a top level I should be approaching all my tasks. But when I'm in the weeds, like day to day, I... It's very difficult for me to be able to step back and view it from that wider scale and then step back in and view it up close. It's like I have days when I can think big and then I have days when all I can do is put one foot in front of the other. And I need past big thinking Ginny to have already laid out for me what I'm supposed to be working on. How does that
0: work with world building then?
1: Oh, I'm real. So here's a secret about me. I don't know. Maybe it's not that secret. I feel like I've talked about it. I'm really bad at broad scale world building. I prefer to host things that take place like in one town or like in one space so that I can really feel like I have a good comprehension of that space entirely. I ran my first homebrew campaign in like a big homebrew world with continents and stuff. And I felt constantly like so lost like I had no idea what was going on and people would ask questions and I would be like oh my god if I improvise this I'm not going to be thinking about how that interplays with the other things that I've improvised and it's not going to work and sometimes I would pull something out of my butt like to just come up with an answer on the spot and someone would be like oh interesting because if you if this interacts with this other thing that's existing in this world how does that work and I'm like it doesn't that's the secret it doesn't work so yeah I'm not a great world builder Um, I actually I feel like I am strongest at developing really small, like community-centric things, like a town or a school or whatever. Um, And then when you have to zoom out, that becomes very difficult for me. I think that if I were ever going to run a campaign that was really, like, stretching across a huge space again, like that first homebrew campaign, I would want to just use something somebody else created and then put my own creation to work in those smaller spaces.
0: I think because of the way that I do play the game and I do uh, DM with my players and stuff like that. We have, I don't know if you've used Legend Keeper. I have not. Okay, so Legend Keeper is this great online tool that you can use to, whether you're writing or creating a campaign or just for fun, in my particular case, um, where you can go in, you can um, add maps, you can add pins to maps and pin those maps to like uh, articles or make calendars or like so you can world build in it. Cool. And I love it because so what happens now, I'm trying to figure out how to bring the world that I have with my players. I want to bring fully over into to Legend Keeper. Um, I'm probably going to do it on one of my players, Legend Keeper, so I don't have to worry about it being on mine cuz our again we've been playing together for 20 years and it's a world that i built so yes. there's a ridiculous amount of information <laughs> <laughs> but but the great thing is is that um we started doing this basically with like word documents and everything else so because i when i started world building i, I went way 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 past the point that you normally would ever need to.
1: (laughs) I think that's such a common DM thing. I think so many DMs like do that. Uh, That's something I've never been able to relate to, but it's like just the level of passion where you're like, I know things that no player is ever going to figure out.
0: Oh, 100%. I have ridiculous knowledge about this world from its it's inception from the moment that it was cosmic dust and forming. I know everything about its history. Oh, it's, oh, it's ridiculous. The amount of information, but also we've been able to play in it for 20 years. So that information obviously has like built up. Oh yeah. Uh, We have a library that I want to try and bring over to legend keeper because over the years we've played numerous campaigns in the same world because i don't i don't ever want to go that deep into the weeds again because that was a lot of work <laughs> we've already done it we've been playing in there for so long that it's like we could i mean the world is big you know we just start yeah. with characters in a different country that's fine <laughs> <You know?
1: laughs> yeah and then you don't lose all the work that you've done building up this immense world
0: right and they already know the lore and stuff like that that they would learn from like their schooling so I don't have to like educate them on that and so we have this like library and the reason I want to bring this all over to Legend Keeper is because we have somebody who essentially is our librarian of the group hmm. and they have a list of all the books we've ever read oh my god With all uh, Queen, queen Note Taker jesus fucking christ
1: (laughs) that's incredible
0: oh she first of all she can type an an extremely uh uh quick amount Mm. i don't know her words per minute but she just keeps up with our conversations as we're having them so it's awesome Right, so, and then she copy and paste all of our text information. And so she has all of our books, everything else. So we want to bring them into like a library. And the great thing is, is like on Legend Keeper, if you don't, if your players don't know it, you can just uh, uh, literally hide it from them and only reveal it if they ever ask. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, that's really cool. So this way I, I want to do something similar because again, I, I have a... Re- ridiculous amount of history on this planet that my players have even haven't in 20 years have not even remotely touched oh my god right because i mean incredible yeah so i just i want to make something so if they ever one day are like okay seriously how much stuff did you do i can (laughs) actually reveal the entire planet's history and the fact that you know at one point uh, there was only two continents and then those broke up into the ones that we have and blah 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 and all the history in the world's, uh the cultures cultures nope having a hard time with that word culture <laughs> <Yeah. Zuh>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that were in each place and then ended up dying out and blah blah so if they dug wow. in a particular place they'd find all of this stuff and yeah oh my gosh I went into the weeds with this place.
1: And this, you know, I'm so used to that being the way that DMs are that I think that was why when I did my own homebrew campaign, I was like, that's what I got to do. I got to make a whole big world and know everything about it. And then I very quickly overwhelmed myself being like, wait a minute, I'm actually really bad at this. And maybe not even necessarily that I'm bad at it, but just that it isn't the part of DMing that I think I love. Right. So. It just isn't something I ever got that deep into. And then world building started to feel like this chore that I had to do. And I was like, this is not right. And that's why I've I've just changed the kinds of games that I run now. I keep them way more confined. I think more like a Curse of strad situation where you're like, it's all going to take place in this one spot. And I can know everything about that spot because that is like doable to me.
0: Yeah. And I I well, one. I highly recommend that over what I did. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well yes and no because I, I love world building yeah. I love it it's one of my favorite parts of being a DM I also forget a lot of the stuff that I wrote which is again why I like mm. tools like Legend Keeper where uh, so I can look things up and not be like totally destroying the entire planet that I just made because I made this whole culture yep. now I'm, I'm going to say <laughs> one fucking thing that's going to be like wait a minute what?
1: In the game that I play, Penelope, my deep gnome barbarian, my DM is like a big um, Jesse Durdak. I'm, I'm sure you
0: known him from yes. the internet. Uh, yes, he, do. I've talked to him.
1: <laughs> he's he's like a big world building nut. He lo- He's like you. He just loves coming up with every single little detail of his world's history and every single part of it, even the parts we won't see. He knows all about that. And playing in that world he gave me the opportunity when I created Penelope to just kind of design he he gave me the context for how she might live underground like what kinds of places exist underground in his world and then he let me kind of just go at it figuring out what her own hometown was like because it's just a small little agricultural town so he was like you can just create it just tell me what it's like and that'll be the world. So I built her hometown and that I went super hard on. Like I know so much about that little place. I know about like how it engages with the agriculture of the surrounding areas. And I know what its geography is like and I know what kinds of things they grow and what kind of fish swim in the ocean. And like, I know all of these little things about it, the hobbies that people have when they live underground. And that has made me so connected to that space that I have this character who's like homesick for home and I can kind of vibe with that. I'm like, yeah, because our home's awesome. I'd right. be homesick for it too.
0: Yeah. I have my players develop all of their hometowns also to tell me their entire history. I'm like, I want to know the first person you had a crush on. Who's the first person you kissed? Who's mm-hmm. your favorite teacher? What kind of grades did you... Like, I I have them fill all of that out, which is hilarious.
1: What I love so much about that from a, from a DM perspective is that... When a player gives you a backstory that's like, here's here's all the most important moments of my life and the most important people as a DM, you just kind of have to work with what they've given you. Like if you're going to bring somebody back from their past, it has to be like their mom or like their best friend. It has to be one of the people who are important enough to get mentioned in the backstory. But if you give them the opportunity to outline all those little details, then you have an opportunity to bring things back into the story that could be unexpected for the player. Because they've given you enough information that, like, you have a lot to choose from.
0: Exactly. Oh, I so I have I, like a great example of this is um, one of my players actually comes from a cranberry bog.
1: Oh, I love
0: that. I ask them questions like, you know, who's the mayor? Who's who you know, who's the most respected in your town? Like, there's a ton of questions and I let them fill in as much as they feel like it. But they create those NPCs. Yeah. And they will they will go hard, hardcore into telling me things that I didn't even ask for at that point. Uh, and then they, when we do go, if we ever go to their hometown, they are a temporary DM because they lead the party through their town.
1: Oh, that's so cool!
0: Yeah, so I, I absolutely love it. But one of them comes from a cranberry bog, and um, uh, apparently, they, their, their father or whatever was the the rebel against their family and didn't want to get into. the cranberries or something i forgot how it went
1: <laughs> a
0: cranberry rebel right you know and uh ended up becoming like a shoe cobbler or something <laughs> the, I don't know. the family bad boy <laughs> right right they're halflings i was like this is adorable i love this <laughs> that is so cute and uh, i was like okay absolutely i'm here for it so then we <laughs> I brought in uh, um, every time that they would, like, go to some place to have food or whatever, if every menu they had had some kind of cranberry, something in it. <laughs> and they went to uh, a main city, and then it was specifically um, the name of their town, Cranberries, because it Ooh. has a factory, you know, like a not a factory, but a, um, a farm or whatever that ships out to other people. And this is yeah. how the whole town is known because they export cranberries. <laughs> I don't know. They came up with this and I ran with it. I was like, perfect. She saw it on the menu and I, I thought she was just going to have a complete heart attack. She's like, oh my God, <gasps> <gasps> hometown. blah, 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 you know. That's awesome. Right. And it was like, what a, like, what a hilarious moment, but that I wouldn't have any other way of knowing. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And then also, I feel like from a player perspective, too, you know, people make fun of me sometimes for going so in depth with my character building advice, because I'm always like, you can know all kinds. You should know what does your character dream? Do they remember their dreams? Do they, do they have a favorite food? Like, that's all the kind of stuff I'm talking about on my channel. And some people act like I'm totally crazy. I'll get those comments from people who are like, and then your character dies next session. And it's like, ah, ha, ha okay, yeah, I get it. it you Even don't- if
0: they did, who cares? I got, to, I got to enjoy that character.
1: Yeah. But also, I do feel like that kind of stuff, when I have thought through all of it, It makes my role play so much more three dimensional at the table, because if I only know the things that shaped my character on a on a really high level and then someone's like, what do you want to order at the bar? It's like, I don't fucking know anything. I I don't know anything about what kind of drink they would like. Whereas when I do know those little details, it allows me to be so much more natural with the way that I interact with the world. Like just uh, last session, we were on a boat. We had boarded a ship and someone was like, does Penelope know how to swim? And I was like, of course she does. She swims in the Nen back home all the time. It's this huge underground lake. Um, It's co- actually connected to the ocean. So it's basically like an underground ocean. They fish in there. Um, they go out on little boats. The bioluminescent fungi don't grow overhead. So you bec- over the water. So you can't actually see it's just this big black, like dark pit and there's like rumors that some terrible monster lives in it but people still swim in the shallows because it's just one of the things that they do for fun and I, I never would have like the question of whether or not Penelope can swim you know if I hadn't thought that much about her hometown and her history then I don't know I probably wouldn't have had an answer I'd be like no I guess not she lives underground right it was so much more interesting when I was like of course she does here's all this information about the lake that it was back
0: home <laughs> do you provide all of that information or did you just go yes?
1: <laughs> I didn't tell them all about the nen. I just was like, Yeah, of course, she swims in the nen back home. And then people were like, What's the nen? And I'm like, Oh, well, Baranen, the name of her town, that's it's named after the ocean, the nen. So then it's like there's a little there's a little sprinkling of world building, and if we ever go back to Bar which we actually are headed that direction
0: right now, they'll know to expect a big scary body of water. <laughs> there you go. See, right yeah. This is, I see, I love this stuff so much. Yeah, me too.
1: (laughs) I feel like if you're gonna, if you're gonna roleplay every minute of someone's experience the way that you do in D&D, where you, you get really, you get really nitty gritty with it, you have to know all that kind of stuff. Or, or why, what's the point of roleplaying entire conversations if the only thing you know about them is like that they are seeking vengeance
0: Exactly. Like, you know, I so right now um we're in a non-combat um campaign. We're going to see how long this lasts. <laughs> uh, I don't think it's going to last incredibly long, but we're going to try. And we're doing this because <laughs> life around us has just gotten a little out of hand. Mm, yeah. And yeah. And we were all had a super, super serious uh, campaign previously. And we're like, listen, we just want to, every once in a while, just do a little light and, you know, not, let's not everybody have trauma.
1: Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, definitely.
0: So, you know, of course, and and by the way, which is, I love my players so much because it is rare that I actually get traumatized characters to start off with. Hmm. They just get they just get traumatized during the events of the campaign. Yes, pretty much cuz like so I actually have PTSD and uh we were talking about that which is how we ended up with this campaign cuz I was like, you know, some I unfortunately been in games where it's almost every session is combat. Yeah. And I'm like, I can't I can't do this as somebody who has PTSD. Uh, this, that's really, really hard for me to deal with. Like, I don't mind every once in a while. It's a lot of fun, especially to show off your character or feel like, you know, you have this heroic moment. But at the same time, like, it it can't be almost every single session. Yeah. And, you know, I know that there's a lot of people who are like, well, what the fuck else do you do? <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. That says a lot about their game, I think. <laughs> right.
0: Oh, 100%. So, you know, I have the, the joy of trying to devise um riddles and puzzles and things for them to do which they're great with just like let's let's just talk everything out and i was like oh god okay one of you seriously of course you took diplomacy fuck
1: in my castle game, it all took place on this train and I knew that it would become very one note if it was like enter new car, fight monsters, enter new car, fight monsters. So I really worked very hard to make sure that the challenges they were facing were really varied, like that there were riddles and puzzles and social encounters and exploration and like, you know, problem solving and stuff like that. And I think that like really pushing myself to make sure that there was that variety brought out some of the best encounters I've
0: ever created. Yeah, no, I, I love that.
1: Yeah, there there was one where they had to uh they had to capture a creature without injuring it because it was like a valuable creature and the the merchant who had brought it on the train didn't want it harmed. And it just led to such a fun, like a way more fun way for that creature to use its abilities for the players to use their abilities. Even though we were in initiative order, it was just such a I don't know, just like such a more interesting way to do the encounter than like hit this thing until it's out of hit points.
0: Which is one of the reasons why I I prefer sentient and uh self-aware you know um encounters yeah you know uh, opponents or whatever because i'm like i'm not crazy about constantly like having animals and stuff like i do depending on where they are of course yeah but i don't i am not really big on throwing monsters at them i want to i want to throw conscious and sentient beings at them where they have to like they have. They'll always have a choice to to talk to it. Not yeah. necessarily going to get anywhere, regardless <laughs> of how good their diplomacy might fucking be. <laughs> you know?
1: Yeah, but they can at least try, right? Exactly.
0: But it also creates a ton of challenges for them to, because something else isn't just charging at them and attacking them. Something is is making plans and specifically choosing. You know, like uh, one of my uh, uh, one of my villains is is picking on a very specific character, mm. and not hitting them at all with any spells or any damage, and instead going after their their the rest of the troop. Yeah. The moment our paladin gets a certain feet away from somebody, this this. I don't want to say what it is because my players are probably listening. But (laughs) a villain, because they don't necessarily know what's happening just yet. A villain is taunting their other uh, um, adventurer group the moment that the paladin is far enough away. Mm. I was going to say, so not only are they trying to figure out what is going on, but they're trying to figure out like how to... Do you stay in a really tightly knit group together and try and figure everything out? Or do you try and continue with life because you can't be tied to everybody within 10 feet constantly?
1: Yeah. That's also such a fun way to make that villain just really become somebody that they have strong feelings about. Like having somebody that is just dogging you every step of the way, that feels terrible. And you're like, that that builds up some really strong emotions towards the villain, I'm sure.
0: Oh, yeah. Like there's mm, some things I, again, don't want to say because I know they're listening. I don't care what (laughs) they say that they don't or that they are not, (laughs) won't be because technically we're not live yet um, but I know them better I know they're looking for clues and I, I'm not going to fucking give anything away but I am going to say I am going to say that I love their reaction every time they realize what is going on hmm. because there's just these moments where they're all they all are nice and relaxed and just something creeps in hmm in the most passive way and then then it starts to like you can just kind of hear one of my players just is like oh wait a minute wait a minute (laughs) and then it just spreads through the group and then all of a sudden they realize like what's going on and it's it's the tastiest fucking thing as a DM
1: (laughs) that's awesome
0: so yeah I'm just waiting for them to open the envelope that they're all dreading right now, which is great. And they don't know what's in it, and I'm not going to tell them. And I actually physically sent an envelope to one of the players.
1: Oh, cool. Yeah. Oh, I love a physical
0: prop. Oh, I do so many of those.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I really wanted to bring some to my castle game but I just was like I was really finishing up adventure prep stuff until the very last minute so I didn't end up having time but that would be the perfect place I think to have really cool like immersive physical props yeah I keep track of some things that I think the other people at my table would probably think are excessive and like I number our sessions so if someone's like hey when were we in the Feywild again I can be like oh that was March of 2022 or whatever because I because it's easy for me to find it um And I log like funny quotes and I have a spreadsheet where I log NPCs that we meet in different areas so that when we go back to a town I can be like who do we know here and like pull up a list Um, and sometimes that does lead to me putting the pieces together on something that nobody else could do because like no one just no one remembers and I happen to have very detailed notes but other times I'm taking notes on all the wrong things
0: (laughs) This is why the envelope did not go to our note taker
1: Ah Mm -hmm. Yeah
0: yeah I'm I'm fairly certain after that envelope gets opened, they're going to. The great thing is this will be published after they open it, so they won't know. But um, I'm fairly certain that once that envelope gets opened and the contents shared, our note taker is going to like put it together with red string on a board. And (laughs) I'm pretty sure they already have that, to be honest.
1: I think that's a good kind of player to have, you know, the ones that are paying enough attention that they are going to get over invested in connecting the dots and stuff.
0: Oh, absolutely. It it does make it kind of challenging, though, as a DM, because I need to give enough information so my other players also get it, but so it's not immediately always them getting it. Mm, Yeah, for sure. You know, and because I always feel bad if that one player is always, like, way ahead of everyone else. Yeah. Because then it's like, oh... You answered, the, you answered the riddle already. Oh, um, I didn't even get a chance to think about it.
1: That's hard. It's almost like a. Um, sometimes I feel like I try to take cues from escape rooms in how to make things challenging enough that people can't breeze through them, but that you can offer clues if you need to make them a little bit easier. But it's I think like with a whole group of people, it can be very easy to accidentally just only offer things that like one specific person is able to piece together. And I try to think of what kinds of things I've run into in escape rooms where it's like, ooh, this is a specialty thing. Only this person is going to be able to solve this problem. Like we did an escape room once where there was a music note puzzle and all of us immediately were like, Blake, this is your puzzle. Would you like to solve this puzzle? (laughs) And I don't know like what that necessarily looks like for every individual D&D party, but I feel like there have got to be ways where it's like, ah, this is a puzzle that like really caters to... You know the barbarian skill sets or whatever.
0: Right. Oh yeah. I mean, I I try to. I try to have something that everybody feels like they have like that moment for. Yeah. Especially, but also at the same time, I try not to. Well, in this particular case, because it feels to them like every like this villain is targeting the paladin. Obviously, wink, wink. It's about the paladin. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> whatever whatever clues and context I'm giving, our paladin should be able to technically connect the dots first, but that's mm. probably not going to happen.
1: <laughs>
0: because not only uh, because I'm giving other clues to the other players because they they don't necessarily know whether or not they've already interacted with this villain.
1: That's so funny. We actually had a moment in our home game where um, there's uh, our wizard was like trained in magic by this very tricksy, troublesome, dangerous fae dragon called Nox Drenathil. We, of course, call her Nox Benadryl because of who we are as people. Of course. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, she when she's in her elf form, she refers to herself as Nodell. That's like the name that she goes by. And we just learned... We knew this. We knew that she went by Nodell when she was in her elf form like a hundred sessions ago. And then just a few weeks ago, uh, it came up that we didn't know um, Juniper, the druid's last name. And then she's like, oh yeah, it's... Well, I go by Moon now because like that's how I wanted to name myself. But when it's in Elvish, it's Nodell. And we were all like, wait a minute, what? You just... Wait, why did you never mention before that your last name is the name that this fey dragon uses when in disguise as an elf? And she was like, I kind of forgot about it. <laughs> like, literally her own character's last name. And she was the only one that could have put those pieces together because none of the rest of us knew her last name. And it just never occurred to her. <laughs>
0: oh, my God. Like, see, see. You know, like... Mm. You know, that's also frustrating as a DM. It's like, I, I gave you something. Here, yeah. here, I gave you something, right? You know, and you're like, wow. Yep. And you you never know if your player is just sitting on it.
1: Or if they just have forgotten or... Right. Yeah. And
0: you can't ask them because then it's a dead giveaway.
1: Yep. I gave, um in my homebrew campaign, I gave a player, like her, I specifically had her find her mother's old journal, which was written in druidic, which she would not have been able to read before she left home, but then she became a druid and now she knows druidic, so she could read it. And she just like, she very much treated it as like a sentimental item. And I think, I don't know if she was like worried about respecting her mother's, her like dead mother's privacy or something, but she was, she just like did not want to read it. She just was not going to open it up and read it. And I was like, I put so much cool plot information in there. It's going to start a quest line. Like, please read the journal. But I couldn't tell her to like read the journal so right. she just kind of tucked it away and then it just didn't come up again
0: <laughs> see now this is what we're going through with the envelope they have the envelope they know they should open it one player mm-hmm. has it right now now <laughs> the storyline that they're currently focusing on is sort of adjacent to this this uh, villain that's, that's taunting them Yeah. So it's not urgent. So they have the envelope. They know they're going to open it. It's just we're like four sessions in of them having the envelope. Oh, man. Where they talk about it and then something else happens and they just either don't have time or they just don't do it or whatever. Oh, no. Technically, the paladin and no, the paladin doesn't know this player has the envelope so the paladin's the only one who doesn't know so they can't ask they can't be like what was in that envelope but man the player on the other hand is like what's in the envelope (laughs) so I now don't know if my other players are just torturing them and being like yeah no we're gonna wait next session or not but like and I'm just sitting there going like cause they just think it's it's not they just think it's not as important and I'm Mm. sitting there thinking like you don't know though
1: yeah, there is nothing that could stop me from opening up an envelope.
0: Right. And I've asked my player, like, have you opened it and just not told anyone else? you are like, no. <laughs> How do people have that kind of self-control? Right. I don't.
1: <laughs> I Yeah, the minute that showed up, I'd be ripping into that thing.
0: Yep. I'd be like, OK, we're going to have an emergency session because I just got an envelope from our DM. <laughs> yeah,
1: Absolutely.
0: We're all playing now. I don't care what the fuck is going on in your lives. We need to play. I need to know what's in this thing or I'm opening it and y'all will have to find out afterwards. (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: 100%. Right. And I know that they they haven't opened it yet. The funny thing is like when they when they do and they'll share, hopefully they'll share it with the other players uh, because they don't have to open it in front of anybody. yeah. Like, I love giving... Everything is a choice for them. They can choose to open it or not. And I have sent them, in all fairness, I have sent them things that have nothing to do with whatever line. It's just, like, a care package from home. Yeah. Yeah, just to fuck with them. Also because I bake cookies or something else. And That's I'll send so them cookies as their mom or something.
1: Oh my god, I love that. Oh man, Jesse's gotta step up his game. Never once has that motherfucker sent me cookies. Right? What the fuck? Dude! <laughs>
0: Dude, I'll have a talk with him. Talk
1: with him. <laughs> oh man. Actually it'd probably suck if he had to if he sent me something like cooked from Penelope's home, because she's a mushroom farmer, so he'd probably send me like weird mushroom cookies and I'd be like, no, thank you.
0: Right. Well, <laughs> see, okay. Now we're gonna get into one of my favorite subjects, which is fantasy food. <laughs> so just because it's a mushroom in our world doesn't mean that it's necessarily one in that world.
1: That's true. Maybe mushrooms in their world taste like chocolate chips, right? Right. Maybe there's maybe, a special kind of mushroom that is a delicious in a cookie.
0: Right. I mean, if you think about it, chocolate is just a nut. That's true. Right. It's just a bean or whatever it is. Like yeah, we eat all kinds of weird
1: shit that's like shouldn't taste good but does.
0: Right. Exactly. So maybe in in Penelope's world there is a really really sweet mushroom that in our world translates as chocolate chips
1: it's a good point okay he can send
0: me cookies then there you go (laughs) it just has to have fantasy mushrooms in it right exactly which sounds like drugs and we're not promoting drugs (laughs) oh yeah
1: why would anyone ever promote the use of drugs that's bad
0: (laughs) don't say it that way Ginny you know what's gonna happen
1: (laughs) well definitely no no one should send me drugs that would be bad that would actually be bad. Don't mail me drugs. <laughs>
0: Please don't. Yeah, no, we don't need that. <laughs> I don't need special brownies sent to me. I don't need special cookies or anything. We're fine. Thank you.
1: Yeah, I actually like, you know, my DM can send me cookies, but I feel like if a fan sent me cookies, I could not eat them. Mm-hmm. That would just it just be too. Mm, you just don't know. You just don't know. People are right. People are. Yeah.
0: <laughs> now, I've had a couple of fans that ended up friends who have sent me cookies. It's like a, a a yearly thing that they do. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, That I'm like, oh, I love this.
1: So I yeah. also have like a peanut allergy. So I have to be really careful about um, right. like dessert foods. People put peanuts in cookies all the time. And most people do not send a list of ingredients when they send cookies.
0: I get asked first before she's the very first time she went to send them. She's like, I make these every year, blah, blah. blah. Can can I send you some? Because I was talking about how Brie has such a sweet tooth. Mm, yeah and so uh, uh, one of my patrons was like oh I make these you know every year can I send them to you and Brie and I was like yeah and they were they asked whether or not we had any food allergies or anything else and I was like
1: oh that's very thoughtful
0: yeah so we know we're good and then she asked me every year because she doesn't remember and it's hilarious are they good cookies really good sends a wide variety of stuff I'm like wow like that's uh, awesome yeah So I, uh, it's great.
1: This has made me want cookies.